Mindfulness Mode 175. My shoulders were my earmuffs because they were up so high. My fingernails used to be dug inside my hands. And my legs were so locked that I had bowed legs. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host, Bruce Langford. Thanks so much, Mindful Tribe, for joining us today in Mindfulness Mode. If you're a new listener, I'm thrilled to have you join us. And if you're a faithful, regular Mindful Tribe listener, welcome back. Today's guest was mentored by legends like Zig Ziglar, Dr. Wayne Dyer, Bob Proctor, and so many others. She suffered with health problems and then became a quantum healer, an NLP practitioner, and a talented healer. She's healed hundreds. The interview is over the telephone, so please hang in. The sound quality isn't quite up to our usual standards, but it'll be well worth the listen. Sit back and enjoy today's episode. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I am really excited to have Beth Sutherland on the line today. Hey, Beth, are you in mindfulness mode? I am now. Well, Beth Sutherland is a coach with extensive abilities, including neuro-linguistic programming, better known, of course, as NLP, quantum healing, healing touch, as well as incredible intuitive gifts. She helps her clients undergo major transformational changes through unique coaching experiences, as well as healing workshops, healing sessions, programs for the physical body. Some of her influencers include the greats. We're talking Bob Proctor, Louise Hay, Tony Robbins, Zig Ziglar, Dr. Wayne Dyer. So Beth, this is going to be exciting. How are you? I'm great, and I'm looking forward to talking to you today, too. Yeah, me too. And I can't believe we're in the same city because most of the people I interview are not. So this is cool. It is. It's a small world sometimes, isn't it? It really is. So Beth, what does mindfulness mean to you? Mindfulness to me is that I am in charge of what's going on in my brain, not my brain. So I take control and allow it to shut down. Wow. And so do you have a personal meditation practice that you follow? Well, I actually spend uh, about an hour on myself a day. I kind of call that my investment. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do a half an hour in the morning and not try. I do a half an hour in the morning uh, and a half an hour at night or more. And it's, um, it's become my lifeline, really. It's what keeps me balanced. And one of the very first things that I do is I, I really enjoy um, um, meditations that are um, guided meditations, right? Mm-hmm. So I to other people's meditations. But what I've been doing lately is putting my own meditations together just on my cell phone. I pull up some music from the uh, internet, something healing, and I talk over my cell phone, over the music there, and create the... Uh, messages that I want my subconscious to um, grab onto. And then I give myself, you know, about 15 minutes kind of in the middle of complete just silence of the the music happening so that my brain goes into that, that um, uh, mindfulness, nothing mode. And then I bring myself back into uh, the present day. And I, I do, I have, you know, probably 10 of those made for myself for different things that I want to focus on. And um, 
the focus happens and then, then nothing happens. And then, and that, that nothingness we know is when the real magic happens. <laughs> right. So what are some of the directions you like to tell yourself? Some of the places you like to go? Well, I, I always just literally go inside. And so that's one of the things from neuro-linguistic programming, um, learning the courses, the, the ability to kind of go inside yourself um, very quickly. So um, I just say the words go inside and I'm there. I, that I can go through, you know, if it's a beach or any of those things. In neuro-linguistic programming, if you say three, uh, state three statements from kind of each senses, that will allow your brain to kind of go into a trance. So, you know, I can see the waves, I can see the sun, I can see the, you know, those kind of things will drop that, um, um, or will allow your ability to kind of drop into that zone of meditation. Well, Richard Bandler is one of the fathers of NLP. Did you study with him or was he one of your influencers? Um, I didn't study with him, but my very first course that I took was in Florida, um, in Lakeland, Florida, in 1988. And uh, the gentleman that took that did the course uh, then, put on the course, um, he brought in different people. And Richard was one of them to come in, and he did a closed-eye induction. And, um, you know, it was very interesting to uh, kind of hear that information uh, firsthand. And, um, you know, reading, I've, I've read lots of the, their books. I have uh, kind of all of the NLP, Richard Bandler and Grindler <laughs> um, books. I can, I'm walking over to my cabinet right now. There's still things that I use on a regular basis. One of the books is actually broken in half. I use it so much. Wow. But, um, yeah, so there, I was fortunate that I took a lot of courses kind of on my holidays, kind of growing up, I'd have to say, um, and, um, you know, go, go to see Wayne Dyer, or go to see Zig Ziglar, or um, Brian Tracy, <laughs> you name it, I went and saw them, and right. uh, when I wasn't in front of them, I was listening to them, so I was, a, I was a sales rep, and spent a lot of time in my car, and just kept the tape going, over and over and over and over and over and over and over, until they stuck in. Wow, that's really cool. So share with us a story of how you have used NLP to help a client of yours. Okay, so one of the things that I really like using with NLP, um, I call it the magic carpet ride. But basically, if someone is having a, a problem doing something or something that they, um, they're, they're stuck, they're in that stuck mode, and let's make a, a thought about a decision, for instance. If they can't make a decision and they've been thinking about it and they can't make a decision and they're stuck, and I get them on a little magic carpet ride it's all safe. They hear everything I have, everything I say, and we go back to a time and allow their unconscious to open up a time where they that ability of making a decision was taken away from them or was distorted in some way. And sure enough, they'll come up with something like, "Oh, geez, when I was five, this happened, and now I remember my parents at the kitchen table saying this and that." And so then I bring in your adult of you know, your present day adult to help you with that. If you were a child, if it was that far back or even just your present day self, if it was a couple years ago to say we've all grown and talk the realistic stuff about really what 
is really real that's going on and um, not the stuff that we made up in our heads when we were five or whatever age we were at. And so in this case, the person was able to bring their higher self in or their, their adult self in and say, you're missing under, you're missing the point. You're missing, you misunderstood what the message was. And um, once you start to change that and you change the view of the picture, you change, you know, the colors and that kind of stuff, just so that the memory is different as well. And then when you go back on the magic carpet ride and move forward to this part of your life, um, it will stop at other places. And then all of a sudden it will be free. It won't stop anymore. And then the decisions can be made. And that feels like a miracle to some people, doesn't it? Absolutely. And it can be less than 15 minutes. Wow. Yeah, it really seems miraculous. I I had one gentleman that had been seeing a psychiatrist for 25 years, uh, monthly for 25 years. And he said he was going basically just for the other guy. He wasn't going for himself. He wasn't getting anything out of it. And um, within the first hour of working with him, he said that the amount of tools that I gave him were incredible. Like just allowed him to take control at this point. And not that all, obviously all psychiatrists are, are, not the same. And this was going back 10 years ago. So I know that lots of things have changed, but it was really eye opening for me to recognize that I'm not just here to listen. I'm here to make, help people make those changes. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, I know that the book, You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay had a big influence on your life. Can you share that with us? It absolutely did. That was my connection that my, what was going on in my mind was going on in my body. And so um, when I was 17, I wrote, I read Think and Grow Rich and understood that whole piece about the, the, the conscious and the subconscious and how that whatever's in the subconscious, lots of times it's planted and we can't reject it and it lends the body. And so I understood it, but I never really understood it until I read Louise Hay's book. And it was about two years after I had um, had an autoimmune disease. And I was fortunate that I, I came from a holistic type family. So some of the things that the medical doctors were talking to me about, I really didn't want to go down that path. And it was the um, autoimmune disease was called sarcoid. Not very many people had had it in Canada. And um, I knew someone who had it. I, I had moved into his apartment after him and his wife moved out. Um, me and my ex-husband had moved in. And um, uh, he was about three months ahead of me with the disease, and he, he died. <clears throat> he died, and I didn't want to go through the same thing that he did, obviously. Mm-hmm. I wanted to try different things. I said, this didn't work. We want to try something else. And um, yeah, um, I got kicked out of the hospital because... Apparently, you're not allowed to have an opinion about those kind of things. No, you better be ready to follow the regiment that they have prepared for you, right? Right. And I understand. I'm, sure. I was at the hospital to be helped, and I wasn't getting, I wasn't, I wasn't allowing them to help me the way they, they thought they could. So when I went, and um, I was living in Halifax at the time, and I went to a, I don't know, it would have been kind of like a naturopath or a herbalist of some uh, kind of, uh, at, at, of some kind. And he basically said, you know, when it's an arthritic, you're getting an arthritic response. Like I couldn't walk. I couldn't move my fingers. I couldn't do anything. And all my lymph nodes had swollen up. And so he said, you know, we're going to start, we're going to shift your diet to change it completely to, from what it was to what it is today. So that I stopped eating anything that I had normally started eating or normally ate. And I started eating, um, 
millet for three oh. weeks. That was terrible. But um, after three weeks, they started introducing other foods. And, you know, it was a good couple of months before I got protein. So I was I was pretty uh, weak, but it changed um, the physiology of my body. So that was the, that was the physical part. And the other thing he said to me is he believed autoimmune diseases was that you were going against yourself in thought. So there was something that I was doing that I had to turn around. I I was, I was saying things or doing something that wasn't in, was incongruent to me. And uh, I knew exactly what that was. And so I decided, okay, I guess I better start changing that. And so I had to start creating my own words to start changing that um, outcome because that's not what I wanted to do. I started getting my voice and put my foot down and said, I'm not doing it. And um, it it took about six months, um, but the disease was completely gone. And when I went back to the doctor to tell him I was felt feeling better and I think it was gone. He did a test and he said, oh, it is gone. You must have had a miraculous, um, spontaneous healing. Congratulations. Oh. <laughs> I said, okay, well, it wasn't, it maybe was miraculous and it maybe was spontaneous, but it was actually something that I had focused on. So it wasn't something that just dropped out of the earth or out of the sky. <laughs> yeah. But he didn't see it that way, maybe, or she. Nope, he didn't. He just said, oh, well, you were lucky. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. I guess some people could chalk it up to luck if they want. That's very, That's very right. interesting. And so tell me this, Beth, what do you eat today? Is your diet still something that you carefully consider mindfully? No, absolutely not. Um, it's the opposite. Um, I, I did have to shift because my body was responding in a, you know, my body was I think that my thoughts were creating the inability for my body to process the food that I was eating. And so I did, I was a vegetarian for about 10 years. Mm -hmm. Um, I call myself a reformed vegetarian now because I do eat meat, but um, now I bless my food and allow it to be exactly what it needs, nourish me and eliminate the rest. And I've lost probably 40 pounds over the last couple of years. I don't, um, I, I walk. That's my physical exercise. I have muscles. People cannot believe that uh, um, I am very fit. I think about I think about doing exercises. I lay on in my mind. I lay on the ground and I do exercises, and I my body responds. Wow! Wow! <laughs> Anybody can do it. If you close your eyes and think about doing a sit up, you're going to feel your body respond to that sit up, and wow. it tells you that your brain is the one that's in control. Wow! That's cool. That's yeah. cool. And do you teach that in some of your workshops? Yes, yeah. I have Mind Over Weight is one of them that I teach. It's, I, teach I, I use that example pretty much in every, every coaching that I do. Um, I, I typically suggest that people take six sessions and kind of get the, the, the best philosophy. And then um, we work on anything else after the six sessions on if you want to achieve something else. Uh, but a lot of times that six sessions gives people enough to, okay, I, I, I anchor the feeling of being connected to your higher self. I anchor the feeling of being grounded and I anchor nothing in your head. So in three seconds, you can have all of those feelings in your body and start doing your own muscle testing so you're not, you're, your head's not in the way, um, that kind of stuff. So blessing my food to me um, is a conscious, mindful, I'm bringing myself back to what I'm eating, I bless it, and 
eat it. <laughs> and what happens is I eat less and I eat different, I eat foods that I'm, I choose differently. It, it really is quite interesting. Um, it I, is. I, yeah. It is. Yeah, I know you do healing touch, and I'm wondering if you'll share with Mindful Tribe about healing touch and how that works when you're working with a client. Absolutely. So um, I took a medical intuitive course to go along with, well, I believed it would go along with the work that I'd done with the mind and the NLP, you know, the, the, the processing of words. And it really did just instantly connect with me. And I was pulling out information that other people in the group were not pulling out. And it, it is something that I use all the time. And uh, my medical intuitive teacher said after I'd uh, graduated that I should go feel what energy feels like because I, you know, I could feel it, what it was like inside my body, but I didn't know what it felt like other people's energy. And so I took a, just took healing touch and it's the philosophy is, you know, ensuring that your chakras are all in line and they're clear and there's lots of different other, um, processes you can use with healing touch but uh, what my clients get is not only just the the healing touch session where I go and do a, a chakra connection which allows kind of that flow of the body um, to happen but I talk to them about what every chakra what you're doing to every chakra so if you're um you know, not um, loving yourself, it's having an issue with, it, it's causing your heart chakra to break down. Um, you know, if you're wanting more money or something like that, it's, it's having an effect on your um, grounding chakra. So it's, it's putting kind of the right words in place for people to help keep that flow going. So I know for me, all the negative talk creates blockages and for everybody, but, uh, um, and knowing kind of specifics of what each chakra, what you, what things you can be saying, you know, so, um, if you needed more, um, a balanced, for instance, a balanced sacrum chakra, if it says, I have all that I need right now, I have all the money that I need and I nurture and support my relationships, all of those kind of thought will help keep that chakra spinning the way it's supposed to spin so that your energy works the way it's supposed to work. If you walk around saying that you're, you're fearful about losing money or you're, uh, you need more or you're worried about competition, those things knock the energy uh, or the ability for that chakra to stay um, focused and spinning the way it's supposed to be spinning. And it can actually start spinning backwards and really causing blockages in the body. Right, they really can. Well, I, you know, what you're saying reminds me of Michael A. Singer's book, The Surrender Experiment. You know, just letting go. And yeah. it's so easy to say, and it's so easy to tell somebody, but how can you really, truly just let go and not hold these things? I mean, that's what you're talking about, I know, but I'd just love it if you could kind of expand on it even a little bit more. Well, I, I kind of look at, depending on what it is that you're trying to let go of, if it's a memory or something like that, that's where I would go in and just say, you know what, I'm going to change this memory. Um, just make it a little, make it a little different um, so that you can start to work with it once it, it's kind of broken apart from the, 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 the original memory. Um, but 
it's more of what do I need to let go of so that I can release this thought process. So if what you're bringing up is, you know, someone being mean to you because you remember them telling you about how bad you were about this or that or whatever, it would be, well, what do I need instead? What I need, I, I need the opposite. So I need the confidence. So I start flooding my brain with the thought processes of confidence and examples of those confidences. So, oh, I was really confident when I went and did that. And, oh, I was confident when I did this. And so you you build up that um, feeling and the negative one can go. Because if you're giving evidence to your subconscious, you can't reject what's in there, but you can add and overlap what what is in there to what you want. So if you remember somebody saying something negative to you all the time, it's so, well, was that true? No, give myself some evidence and start that mantra and, and keep going back to that was their belief. That was, you know, you discredit what was going on. Now, if it's something that you have done and you feel bad about and all of that kind of stuff, we can still let go of that as well. You need to just know what lesson you need to hang on to. Right. And that's the key is I'm going to release all the hurt and release the pain pain that's associated to it. But I can only do that if I take responsibility for what I need to do differently or what I needed to do differently. What did I learn out of that process and what can I take forward? Um, I also look at yesterday was just a memory, right? It's just, there's really just nothing there but in their heads. So if you ask somebody else, they're going to have a different thought process of yesterday than you did. So sometimes it's just saying, okay, that was just in my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love your insight into all this. This is great. And you've been inspired by so many thought leaders. I wonder if you could share what pops into your head when I say Zig Ziglar, what kind of an influencer was he for you? I I hear him echoing in my head right now. If you believe, <laughs> that's how he would say, if you believe something, then you believe it. Um, I worked a lot with him with sales as well because I was in sales and he had a really good uh, um, process about sales and negotiation right. and stuff like that. And I remember the Zig Ziglar singers. I'm sure there's not very many people around that would, but he would have like a talk and then he would have these Zig Ziglar singers come in and talk about a thing about the talk. So if it was, you know, things like if you believe and you believe, and I'm not going <laughs> to think anymore, but it was very, very, it, I, you know, after 10 years of not hearing them and going back and listening to some of this stuff, I'd say, Oh my God, I forgot about the Zig Ziglar singers. They're reinforcing the message in a song because that's going to talk to your right brain versus your left brain. Right. That is very cool. That is very cool. And that's what I've done for a long time with bullying prevention because, Beth, I've worked in bullying prevention for over 10 years. And being a music teacher, that was the first thing I thought. You know, I want to connect with my audience through music as well as through word and as also using drama and that kind of thing. Now, having worked in this, I've, I've certainly found out firsthand that mindfulness is something that can really help both people who have experienced bullying or people who are bullying other people for whatever reason. Do you have a story about bullying in some way that you could share with us where mindfulness would have made a difference? Sure. 
And I'm going to say something that probably not very many people think of, but I was the biggest bully in my life. Really? I was mean to myself. I took what I thought other people were saying. Well, I did. I had a right brain, left brain issue when I was a kid. So it's not an issue. It's just my profile. But I am all dominant on the right. Mm -hmm. And um, what happens is you process everything on the opposite side. So your left brain. And what I was not told until I took brain gym was that when you're under stress, your non-dominant brain shuts down 75%. So my non-dominant was logic. So out the window, all of my logic goes and I'm dealing with 25% logic and it really stops me from, from doing things. And so that, you know, when I was going to school, I was told I wasn't trying hard enough and those kind of things. Every time I was under stress, it would make it worse because I couldn't access that left brain. I also found out that I have actually music's on my left brain and I have language and math on my right brain. So there is no logic in your right brain ever. So I, after I did 12 weeks of brain gym, I was allowed, it gave me whole brain thinking so I could access that math. And, you know, I unfortunately didn't do brain gym until I was 30. So, (laughs) um, it took me a long time to figure it out. But, uh, the reason I'm saying that I was the biggest bully is I took that information that, you know, the principal saying I was lazy or my mom and, or they didn't, nobody meant to hurt me in any way. Um, but you know, thought that I should be trying harder and they had no idea how much work I was doing under the skin. And, um, so I used to beat myself up that I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't a smart enough person. I was, you know, they're just pushing me along in school and I, I wasn't allowed to take French cause I still had, couldn't spell in English and you know, things like that, that, um, I really That's the part that mindfulness helped me was I first started changing all of those thought processes and then started changing to all as well. And then started changing to, there's no talk back there. There's nothing there. It's just nice and quiet. And so basically it was the bully in me that I had to um, tame and I tamed it through uh, changing the thoughts and, and calming them down and stopping that internal madness that was going on and allowing peace to come in. Wow. That's, that's a great story, Beth. My next questions are part of the multimode round. Just short 30-second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. I know you've been influenced by so many people, but who is one person who pops into your mind who has been a great influencer of your mindfulness practice? Oh, I guess it must be um, Wayne Dyer. I'll go back to Wayne Dyer. I think I wrote read his you know, one of his first books in the seventies. So I'm pretty sure it was the seventies. Um, you know, I think of, um, there's a spiritual solution for every problem, or I think that was the, 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 one of his books. Um, but just understanding kind of, if you think of him, you do think of that calmness, right? You really (laughs) do. I can just hear him say, thank you. And it makes me go, Oh, (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah. I am calm just hearing that. So, um, you know, Wayne Dyer, for sure. I've, I've been a big reader since, uh, you know, kind of day one, cause it was the yeah. thing that allowed me to, allowed me to get inside myself. Um, uh, but I, I'll, I'll use Wayne Dyer. I mean, I guess the other person would be, I'm going to say Adam McLeod, the dream healer. Okay. 
So uh, are you familiar with Adam? No, I'm not. Oh, okay. So he's a Canadian. He's a healer. He uh, healed um, Ronnie Hawkins of pancreatic cancer. Uh, I've seen him many times. And um, during his sessions um, of, you know, there's probably 1,200 people in the room, I can specifically get individual information. I'm sure it's individual information coming to me. One of the um, key processes about my mind overweight and how your mitochondria works and what you got to do to it. Um, all of that information came um, from Adam and uh, the visuals of his, you know, how to, how to do visual um, relaxing of the body and things like that. Um, he's great at, he's absolutely great at doing that. <laughs> Super. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Beth? Again, it would be, I used to be, uh, I used to have my, I used to say my shoulders were my ear muffs because they were up so high. My fingernails used to be dug inside my hands and my legs were so locked that I had bowed legs that went backwards. So um, the emotions that I had in my body most of the time was fear, fear of somebody catching me doing something wrong or just being me, which I thought was wrong. <laughs> you know? mm. And, uh, um, and so mindfulness was allowing, allowing me to be me, allowing that my, my body and brain profile was just the way I was hardwired. Nobody else knew how to deal with it. So I was lucky that I unlocked it. And so I, I go back to that and say, turning the thoughts, around and then they will turn to nothing eventually but it um that's not what i I, i'm i'm telling always telling my clients what do we what do we want to focus on and that's where i moved to and that was longer than 30 seconds (laughs) (laughs) that's okay tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice yes um well um that's one of the things that i learned that i didn't do properly i um breathed opposite so when most people when you breathe in you're uh you you actually go like you're as if you're taking some air and it ends up in your throat um you're actually supposed to breathe in through your nose and fill up your diaphragm fill up your your belly is what i say Mm -hmm. and so um i was totally backwards breathing and um, you know, that, that causes an awful lot of strain on the body. It's not getting enough oxygen during the day and that kind of stuff. And um, I have this one, two, three process where I use total body modification. It's one of the courses that I took um, that you actually put your fingers together and it triggers the, the top part of your lungs to open and then the bottom part and then the diaphragm. And so within three seconds, you're breathing in and you're filling up all of those areas, allowing you're nurturing yourself when you're breathing in and you're allowing that toxins to come out when you're blowing everything out at the end. So um, just by putting your pointer finger together and then your pointer finger and your middle finger and then the pointer finger, middle finger and ring finger, it, it will allow you to breathe. So if you could recommend any other books, I know you've talked about a few books, what would it be related to mindfulness? I get something from every book, so it's really hard to to say this one was really, you know, this one was really perfect. Um, I really like um, David R. Hawkins. He's an MD, um, and he has a book called Surrender. Um, That's what made me think of it when you were talking about surrendering. Uh, That's a book. And 
just kind of the information of knowing kind of that we're in control, I think is for me helps mindfulness because if, as soon as I can put myself in control in, in, in the driver's seat, then mindfulness comes. Sure. Sure. I always ask this next question. And if, if you don't use one, that's fine. My question is, do you have an app which you used that helps you to be more mindful? I, I don't use an app. I try to stay away from my technology. Um, I sold technology for 25 years. So um, it's not necessarily the enemy, but it's not, it's not always my friend. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just, I think if anything, um, I use the triggers that I have in my body. So I will use different muscle tests for different parts of my body and, and will calm it down that way. Sure, sure. So what advice would you give a person, Beth, who is new to this whole idea of mindfulness and they'd like to start using it in their life? Well, I would say uh, absolutely um, give yourself permission to start doing it and say, it's, I'm not wasting time by taking a half an hour in my day to do this. I'm actually gaining time. And people need to shift to, to, to get there, to realize, you know, they can't say, oh, I don't want to waste a half an hour doing that. It's absolutely, it goes by very, very quickly, and it absolutely adds tenfold to your life. Wow, Beth, you just have so much knowledge to share and so many experiences. It's just, it's uh, speaking of time flying by, this, this has really gone fast. And Mindful Tribe, I know that you're just drinking up all these thoughts and ideas. Now, Beth, is there a way that our listeners could connect with you and learn more about what you do? Absolutely. I have a website, BethSutherland.com. I also give out a free half-hour session with every client. So I want them to understand that my coaching is different. I'm not just going to be talking. I'm going to be doing muscle tests. Even if they're not here in in the office, I do the same thing over the uh, Skype or over the um, phone because uh, it's all just energy, right? So I'll teach them how to do their own muscle testing. They can tell me the results, or I can even tell them what I can I can detect from uh, what they're doing, um, where they're standing, no matter where it is in the world. And, um, you know, so that's, I would say connect with me and book a half hour session and you'll learn something in the half hour, even if you don't want to move forward with me. For sure. And it's S U T H E R L A N D, right, Beth? Yes, I always say like like Kiefer. Everybody knows Kiefer Sutherland. Right. (laughs) Same spelling, right? Yeah. Well, it has truly been great talking with you, Beth. Thank you so much for being on Mindfulness Mode today. Well, thank you, Bruce. It was great talking to you. And I can't believe we're in the same city. I can't believe it either. (laughs) We'll have to go do lunch. (laughs) We will definitely do that, Beth. That would be great. So you have a great rest of your day. You too. Thanks. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.